Laura Cook spent uh, her last few years chasing wallabies for her master's research at the University of Melbourne and now works as a vertebrate collection manager at the museum, looking after much less active animals. Uh, she's beginning a PhD later this year in reproductive biology and is fascinated by all the weird and wonderful ways that organisms reproduce. Thanks, Laura. Come on up. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming tonight. So I've been coming to Labora Story uh, since my undergrad, so it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking tonight. Tonight I'm going to be speaking about a scientist who I came across during my master's research. And I think his story is particularly relevant as science continues to enter the political discussions and we as scientists are forced to come out of our comfortable four walls of the lab and into the streets. So in 2015, I began working on a pesticide called atrazine. It's widely used on crops in Australia and the US. We wanted to know if uh, we want to find out if wallabies exposed to this chemical in the environment throughout agricultural areas um, had changes in their ability to mate. So atrazine is a chemical which is thought to increase the production of the, uh, sorry, of the female hormone estrogen. So estrogen equaling female and testosterone equaling male in simple terms. So exposing males to atrazine may cause their reproductive organs and to um, develop abnormally and ultimately change their ability to mate. So two years ago, as I began my literature search, I started noticing these huge discrepancies in the literature. Um, because atrazine ends up in the waterways, the majority of the research had been done in aquatic species, so fish and amphibians. These clear discrepancies were in the amphibian research in particular. There was a clear distinction that found, uh, there appeared to be a clear distinction on male frogs, complete sex reversal, and those that found no effect at all. So if you're a scientist in the audience, you're probably thinking, that's science. Studies can sometimes struggle to replicate data, especially when using different animal models. However, the further I looked, the more suspicious the story became. The studies finding that atrazine caused male frogs to turn into females were led by herpetologist and endocrinologist Tyrone Hayes. And his is the story that I'm going to tell you about tonight. So Tyrone was born in Columbia, South Carolina in 1967. As a kid, he was fascinated by metamorphosis. So the process of an abrupt change in an animal's body structure, such as seen um, during the transformation from tadpoles to frogs. He was a pretty weird kid, raising tadpoles and frogs on his parents' front porch, crossbreeding different species of grasshoppers, filming birds' nests with a pot on his head to fend off dove attacks, and studying how lizards changed colour using his doghouse and a blow dryer. In 1985, at 18, Tyron received a scholarship to study biology at Harvard. He speaks of this time as probably the worst four years of his life. He felt disconnected from the mostly white and privately educated student base and really struggled to remain confident um, that he was smart enough to be there. Despite this, he finished his degree and went on to complete a PhD at Berkeley. He was incredibly gifted and hardworking and such was immediately hired by his department. He eventually became one of the few black tenured biology prof professors in the country. He was somewhat of an enigma at Berkeley though with long braided hair, wearing bright scarves draped over his suit, 
and silver earrings from Tibet. He ran the most racially diverse lab in Berkeley. Students found him entertaining. He'd sometimes finish his lectures with raps. You can find some of these on YouTube if you're interested. They're quite good. Once after seeing an email in which he was referred to as black and quite articulate, he began signing his emails Tyrone B. Hayes, PhD, ABM, an acronym for Articulate Black Man. <laughs> At 31, Tyrone had published many papers on the hormonal system of amphibians and was said to have perhaps the greatest potential of anyone in the field. It was in the mid-90s when Tyrone was asked to consult with one of the largest pesticides companies in the world, Syngenta, that Tyrone's scientific reputation came into question. After concerns from the EPA, the US Environmental Protection Agency, uh, about one of Syngenta's pesticides, atrazine, a scientific review was started. Tyrone became a consultant on the Syngenta panel for this project and began investigating if atrazine was indeed affecting frogs. Like many scientists, Tyrone worked with Syngenta as if it was any other job. He was performing a service, they commissioned it, he came up with the results, and they could do what they want with them. It was their responsibility, not his. But as his experience continued, experiments continued, he kept finding that exposure to atrazine at levels 30 times lower than had been approved by the EPA in drinking water was causing defects in male frogs. After discussions with Syngenta about his findings, he felt that his concerns were not taken seriously and became afraid of being complicit in a plan to bury important data. So in 2000, Tyrone resigned from Syngenta and repeated the experiments using independent funds from Berkeley and the National Science Foundation. In these studies, he again noticed that some of the frogs could not clearly be identified as either male or female. They had both testes and ovaries. This was not natural in this species. After having a mostly amiable relationship with other Syngenta scientists, he again decided to raise his concerns with the company. These concerns, however, were, not, were met with an attempt to discredit Tyrone's data. Tyrone felt frustrated and insulted and began to realise that Syngenta did not seem concerned with the ethical dilemma at hand, but rather their own financial interest. He published the data that atrazine had caused male frogs to become female and hypothesized that the chemical was contributing to the global decline of amphibians. This research was big. Tyrone pushed on with field studies, finding sexual abnormalities in frogs in the wild at atrazine-contaminated sites in Illinois, Iowa, and Nebraska. He couldn't stop. It became almost an obsession. He'd start in the lab at 3 a.m. and work 14-hour days. Syngenta, in turn, funded a stream of research which found that atrazine did not produce intersex frogs. But this wasn't enough. They then set out to attack Tyrone's integrity and destroy his reputation. Syngenta began sending staff to Tyrone's research talks around the world, sometimes handing out material accusing him of fabricating results and cherry-picking data. According to Tyrone, they'd make derogatory remarks about his appearance, his speaking style, and even his sexual orientation. After a while, Tyrone suspected that they were reading his emails. 
He began staying in different hotels each night that he was at conferences and sent copies of his data, hard copies, and notes to his parents in sealed boxes. He was very concerned. However, he continued to lecture and took up many outside speaking events, informing the media and the public about the dangers of this pesticide. He became an activist and continued to defy the instructions of his PhD advisor, who had told him, let the science speak for itself. Syngenta's attack on Tyrone's credibility continued for the next 12 years. It was during this time that Tyrone appeared somewhat unhinged. Syngenta casting doubt on his work had caused some of his old anxieties to creep in. The fear that he wasn't good enough, that he was a fraud. Scientists who had worked with him said he became paranoid. He was concerned for the safety and safety of his family and students. He instructed students in the lab to hang up the phone if they heard a click, signaling that a third party might be on the line. His students couldn't tell where reality ended and exaggeration crept in, and although concerned for him, remained skeptical of Tyrone's accusations. In 2012, the US EPA dismissed concerns that atrazine at very low concentrations was dangerous to wildlife and humans. Syngenta unfortunately continued to dominate the literature. There were too many discrepancies between studies to accurately change policy. A Syngenta-funded scientist sat on the EPA panel. Whether real or perceived, there was a conflict of interest. The environmentalists loved Tyrone. He was an esteemed scientist and activist, which are often a rare combination. But within some parts of the scientific community, Tyrone's David and Goliath-like stories were met with skepticism. In 2012, two lawsuits were brought against Syngenta by 23 Midwestern cities in the US for concealing atrazine's true dangerous nature. It was during this lawsuit against Syngenta that evidence supporting Tyrone's accusations came out with hundreds of Syngenta's memos, notes, and emails made public. These documents showed that while Tyrone was studying atrazine, Syngenta had indeed been studying him. Their public relations team had listed goals including discredit Tyrone, prevent citing of Tyrone's data, and exploit Tyrone's faults. There was even documentation of a proposal to pr purchase the internet search words Tyrone Hayes, frog feminization, and atrazine frogs, so that anyone searching for information would first see Syngenta's pages discrediting Tyrone. At the end of the lawsuit, Syngenta settled and paid $150 million to reimburse expense of filtering atrazine from the drinking water, but the company to this day still denies any wrongdoing. It's still a highly controversial topic. Atrazine is banned in the European Union, but still widely used in the US and Australia. I like this story not only because it's about an eccentric frog scientist taking on one of the largest pesticide companies in the world, but also because it makes us think about our responsibilities as scientists. Does our responsibility end the moment the data is out there for the world to see? Or do we have a responsibility to be involved in how our research is used indefinitely? Tyrone Hayes is an incredible, incredibly gifted scientist and passionate activist. His findings continue to be replicated, not only in independent labs, but across almost every vertebrate class, including marsupials. Thank you.